Well, new data out this week shows around 20% of all Australian adults have been infected with COVID since the pandemic began. Not bad for a virus that's only been around for about two years. And while we're not entirely over the pandemic, our best and brightest minds are turning their attentions now to the future. This week, health ministers from the G20 met and created a new monetary fund that will power research into pandemic preparedness. And in the US, President Joe Biden is currently trying to push through an $88 billion national biodefence strategy to combat biological threats to humans, animals and the environment. Here in Australia, the new Albanese government has committed to a new Centre for Disease Control, or CDC. So what exactly will that look like? And are we doing enough domestically to equip ourselves for the next pandemic? Well, joining us to discuss the key issues are two experts in their fields and now household names, thanks to the pandemic. Nick Coatesworth is a leading infectious disease physician. He was also the Deputy Chief Medical Officer of Australia throughout the depths of COVID. We're also joined by the Chair of Epidemiology at Deakin University, Professor Catherine Bennett. Welcome to you both. Good morning. Good morning. Nick, I'll begin with you. Health and finance ministers from the G20 met earlier this week and the federal government subsequently announced funding towards this new financial intermediary fund, which will be run by the World Bank. How exactly do you think this will work and how will it help to avoid a repeat of the catastrophic economic and human costs of COVID-19? I think one of the things, Kath, that we, we noted exactly as you say is that these pandemics have costs way beyond uh, the costs of consequences to the health consequences of the disease themselves. And of course, when you uh, have to prioritise disease control, as we did have to, uh, particularly in Victoria and other parts of Australia with the lockdowns, they went on to have uh, some significant economic effects. But one of the things that we need to do with regard to the next pandemic is to ensure that we are more resilient, that we're more prepared, and that we need to fund our health systems appropriately to that end. One of the things we found out, and we particularly found this out in Victoria, was that the erosion of public health funding over many years, if not decades, left the disease control systems in Victoria in catch-up mode in the early parts of the pandemic. Now, Thankfully, under the stewardship of uh, the senior health officials there, they did catch up. Uh, but that was just one example of where you can uh, really be caught napping if you don't have your, your health systems and, and processes adequately financed, adequately uh, linked in with the latest technology and have adequate human resources behind them. Of course, that, that is part of the rationale, of course, that the Albanese government is, uh, is looking towards an Australian uh, Centres for Disease Control in part uh, to solve for those problems. Yeah, we'll talk about the CDC in a second. Catherine, with respect to that, to that fund, do you see that as key um, for preparedness for the next pandemics or, or what else do you see as important for future proofing against pandemics? Well, um, as Nick said, you know, we've, we've seen the impact when you're not prepared. And we've also seen how that plays out globally with, um, you know, increasing that divide between affluent countries and not. So, so it is important that we think always globally when we're talking about pandemic potential. And, you know, we can't look after our own backyard and assume that what happens elsewhere isn't going to impact us because it's just not true. So it is taking that global view is important um, when talking about that in, that investment. And in fact, it's interesting because they still talk about it as expenditure, even in the Australian government announcements around the G20 contribution, 
But in fact, it's, you know, the WHO, World Health Organization, always emphasise its investment, not just expenditure, and we have to think about it that way. And it's also not about preparedness just in the sense of we have to get it right next time we're hit by a pandemic. It's about prevention. And that is the key. If we can actually improve resources that would help in responding to a pandemic, but could also help detect it early and early enough that we might actually control it in a different way locally and globally by investing in some of the infrastructure, particularly in resource-poor settings. So to enable early detection, to have really good um, uh, computer systems underpinning not just what you do in capturing information in your jurisdiction, but how you share that with the world. Genomics, doing the kinds of testing that allow you to evaluate situations quickly or producing your own vaccines locally. They are about a really robust response. They're building, as, as Nick said, resilience in the population, but that might even help us avert some future pandemics as well if we get that right. Mm. Nick, you mentioned the Australian CDC before. I mean, this has been suggested as necessary for protecting us against future pandemics. How critical is the establishment of one for disease control? We know that the ALP is committed, uh, the Labor Party is committed to one. We heard that from Anthony Albanese. But how would one work and work well? Mm. Well, just before we get to that, I just wanted to add something that, that to what Catherine said, because I think it's important for listeners to understand that, of, of course, global cooperation extends beyond uh, financial um, commitments and cooperation, but it also extends to the way we uh, deal with intellectual property patent laws and the availability of vaccines and, and where they can be produced around the world. Mm. And I, th I think just, you, you know, what we saw in the pandemic was not exactly edifying in terms of global cooperation, whether it's uh, the initial response for China and its its transparency all the way through to Australia closing its own international borders, then us closing international borders to South Africa for Omicron, but most importantly, uh, the the uh, where the vaccine was able to be produced and and the availability of treatments and their cost, which puts it effectively out of reach of uh, of, of many low income countries. But moving on on to the the CDC. I think what, there's a few things that we need to be cautious about. This is an election commitment. I think it's going to happen. But there's a few fallacies that have been put forward that are that are sort of important to correct. Because if you go down the path of a, a fallacious, a, a fallacy is your your reasoning for doing something, then you can get a get a poor result. And one of them is that a CDC is somehow necessary for an effective pandemic response. Now, countries that did well did not necessarily have a CDC. We are one of them. Uh, I don't think there's any doubt that comparatively to other nations, we did well, and we did well compared to some nations that do have a CDC, most notably the United States of America. A Centers for Disease Control does not guarantee that that CDC will get the right answers on everything. And in fact, the US CDC has been sharply criticised, mm. and in my view, quite correctly, for uh, promoting less than scientific uh, restrictions, such as the masking of toddlers, such as the extended uh, closure of schools, which disadvantage advantage significantly minority groups uh, within the United States. So we, we just got to be cautious there. But from an Australian point of view, I think where we could have really improved was the sharing of data between state and federal governments. It's been a perennial problem, uh, but it, it, it was a problem within the pandemic. And I'd love to see a CDC um, that could help break down some of those barriers. That's one thing. So improved 
uh, timeliness, reliability of data, breaking down state, state and federal barriers. And secondly, um, as a really fertile training ground, not just for Australian field epidemiologists, but also as a sort of regional hub, uh, there's there's some great stuff to co potentially come out of the CDC in terms of our soft power diplomacy in the Indo-Pacific. Also bring in the capability and capacity, which is very significant, of uh, clinicians and epidemiologists from the Pacific and Southeast Asian regions. Mm. Well, Catherine, we know that the AMA has been calling for a CDC since 2017 and calls actually go back further than that. Do you think our response to COVID might have been different if we had had one in place? Would it perhaps have been more effective than, than some of the issues we saw come out of National Cabinet, which I guess speaks to that point that Nick was just uh, speaking about, about the sharing of data? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, in, in public health and epidemiology specifically, we've been talking about this since last century. And um, and and often what drives or, or initiates those conversations over and over is the fact that it took a long time, even for our most significant diseases that we have surveillance on, to, to be able to be brought together on a national surveillance system, um, getting those uh, databases speaking to each other. But even the way we collect information was different state to state which meant, you know, when you're talking about a pandemic, clearly it's something we have to be monitoring Australia-wide and jurisdictions, you know, doing it differently doesn't help. I think if we had a CDC, some of those things would be ironed out that we've, we did only discover really in the um, COVID pandemic. But also, as, as Nick said, it's about bringing to ex together expertise across the country and across the region. It's about not duplicating things at a state level that we can do you know, by monitoring what's happening around the world, for example, building that intelligence that you need and, and sharing it amongst states. So doing that in a coordinated way. So we're not duplicating effort. We're bringing together critical mass. Um, if a particular state or territory is impacted, the other states and territories are able to contribute to the, to the thinking, to the planning. And if it does become something that's across jurisdictions, there's agreement about what evidence um, is best. You might apply things differently in different regions because you've got different local challenges, but at least your understanding of the evidence and, and what we're doing and how we set about evaluating it all in real time is, is done in a way that's more consistent. And I think the flow-on effect is that that's more reassuring to the public as well. They're not saying, well, it's different for me because I live in this state. You know, they understand how the evidence ties to things. And, you know, when, when things are evidence-based, they will look a little, a little more similar across jurisdictions, even if they, by necessity, need to change over time or in certain areas, that would be better explained. Mm. So it's not about control. It's not about you know, imposing a, a federal system on states where, where the public health responses sit. It's just working together smartly and building that critical mass centrally that can either contribute to local surge capacity or help the whole country as we, we look at this as an Australia-wide part of the regional challenges and then the global challenges if it's a pandemic. So where does this leave us all now, Nick? What juncture do you see us at? I was reading some quotes by the former director of the US CDC, Dr Tom Fryden, and he was saying this is the most teachable moment the world has had about the importance of public health in 100 years. And then on the other hand, we're really at risk of heading full steam ahead into the neglect phase of the panic neglect cycle. What? Where do you see us at uh, being at right now? What do we need to learn from this point in time to prepare us for the next? Well, I think, I think it's a real risk that we, we just lapse back into uh, where, where we were, uh, where 
we were before. And, and where we were before was uh, very much focused on uh, hospitals, on emergency waiting times. I'm really talking about Australia um, rather than internationally. But um, but we see it now. The extension of, of hospital funding to the end of the year is is because the number one concern for the Australian public is is uh, waiting times in emergency departments. We've, we've got to be able to convince people that actually public health and preventive medicine is where the the best uh, best value is because if you if you don't um, convince people of that, then your budgets very quickly get sucked into uh, your tertiary hospital system and your uh, public health networks and capacity gets eroded, a la Victoria over over the past decade. So I, I think I think that's the real risk, but it's also the the real opportunity with regard to the CDC in Australia. I think one of the next questions, uh, and it's back to the old federation: uh, where is it going to be, Sydney or Melbourne? And I did want to throw my two bobs worth in. I note that the uh, the, the couple of institutes down in Melbourne, Catherine will have something to say about this, but have very cleverly positioned themselves uh, as as uh, merging together for the Australian Institute of Infectious Disease. Um, there will equally be people who think it should be in Sydney. I'll tell you where I think it should be. I think it should be in Darwin. You know, the CDC in the US is in Atlanta. It's not in New York or Washington or, or LA. Um, and CDCs do well when they're paired against hospitals and research institutes that have a, a very uh, good history of infectious disease management and research. I can't think of a better place than Darwin. It's close to our Southeast Asian neighbours. It's got a strong history with the National Critical Care and Trauma Response Centre and the Menzies Health Centre for Research up there is, is just outstanding with regard to First Nations healthcare. So uh, that that's where, that's my message out of this interview for <laughs> Minister Butler, that, that avoid the Sydney-Melbourne confrontation and, uh, and stick it up in Darwin because that's where people who are really interested in epidemiology, infectious disease uh, tend to gravitate to. Catherine, you got a thought on that? I think that's a really interesting proposal. I was a little worried Nick was going to say Canberra, um, which would be even worse. But I think the whole point is it's not about being, you know, federal, federal or other. It's about being collective and so avoiding some of those um, conflicts. It will largely be virtual as well, but it is about having an identifiable place, bringing people together physically in a place that isn't associated with, you know, um, historic sentiment around who who should be operating this. The whole point is you have to have buy-in from all states and territories to make this work. Mm -hmm. And I think if we can get that right, if we can get the people working together, we'll have the other part of um, communication as well, which is how um, the experts, how the institutes and universities and, and clinic, clinical centres are communicating about the disease as well. And so it's not about censoring or trying to bring everyone into line and saying the same thing. These things are always complex and we're, we're thinking and learning all the time in a pandemic. But at the same time, we could be in a situation where we have better curation of the information as it's coming in. Everyone's equally informed about the latest data. We're all speaking, you know, within that context. And I think that would help globally in our public health messaging as well mm -hmm. if there is that sense that this is a respected, trusted group. And Nick, we've recently seen the emergence of monkey, the monkeypox virus spread outside of Africa. The WHO is considering a global emergency designation for that virus. How and where might you foresee the next pandemic emerging? Well, it's the uh, it's the multi-billion dollar question, Kath, I, I, I guess. I, I mean, you know, we we understand that 
the po- populations of, of humans and animals are, get, are getting ever closer, that the uh, spread of so-called zoonotic infections, which are infections in animals that can, can then uh, traverse into humans, is, is becoming increasingly more likely. So I, th- I think we simply need to say that uh, rather than expecting us all to be um, old and gone by the time the next pandemic uh, comes around, there's, there's every chance that uh, there might be another one in our lifetime. Of course, we've got highly pathogenic avian influenza that's always an issue. We've still got Middle East uh, respiratory coronavirus, MERS, uh, that, that's an issue. So I, I think rather than, you know, I think monkeypox is harder to transmit. We've got a vaccine for it in, in the form of the smallpox vaccine. Um, it's always going to be the, um, the highly transmissible, potentially deadly, uh, deadly respiratory virus that is, is the one that's got us all concerned. Uh, so building in measures that are going to improve resilience against those. I know there's been a lot of discussion about um, ventilation, certainly ventilation in our hospitals and aged care facilities where we know people are going to be with uh, these sort of respiratory viruses is going to have to be attended to uh, in, in short order, I think. And Catherine, I'd really like to finish on a positive note if you can help me out here. Do you have confidence that we'll be better equipped for the next pandemic? We already are. And I think that's, you know, that's something we, we need to make sure doesn't disappear. You know, if, if, if we get beyond this Omicron wave and we go into a period of, of relative calm, we have to find ways to bring what we've learnt, what we've built with us, rather than just saying, well, that's that's done, tick. You know, and I think that's important. And as, as Nick said, there's a lot we can learn about it, how we structure, physically structure our aged care, age care facilities, how we do build um, in protection from any respiratory infectious disease. It doesn't actually matter what it is. But how we also pay attention to the other pandemics that are out there, including antimicrobial resistance and other things that are that are increasingly, you know, coming to the fore in terms of what we need to be thinking about in managing communicable disease. The fact that people now are mindful about basic hygiene again, thinking about distancing, assessing risk. We need to build on that in the general population as well, because I think we took infectious disease for granted. We thought we could go to the doctor and get an antibiotic or an antiviral and fix it. Um, that hasn't always been true, but now I think it's right in our faces that that actually we are susceptible to communicable disease. And while we manage them day to day better than we have in the past, and we've got good treatments and other things to manage that, we, we do have a limited pipeline for antibiotics. We know that zoonoses can bring new infectious agents into the community and challenge us. The fitter we are, the fitter our health systems are, the better we are at detecting changes in these things in our population. All of these things we need to build now off what we've learnt from COVID, then we're in a much stronger position going ahead. And I think just the wake-up call in itself has strengthened our position, but all the other things we've built during this response are also a, a big part of us being stronger in the face of infectious diseases than perhaps where we'd let ourselves slip back to. Catherine and Nick, great talking to you both. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And that was Nick Coatesworth. He's a leading infectious disease physician and Catherine Bennett, the Chair of Epidemiology at Deakin University. Quite a few of you have been texting in on your thoughts uh, regarding pandemic preparedness. Uh, Rob from WIO, 
hope I pronounced that correctly, said it's great to hear Nick Coatesworth on the radio again, expert, sensible and realistic approach to public health. We, of course, heard a lot from Nick during uh, the last two and a half years in his role as Deputy uh, CMO. Rod's also texted in, and I hope some of the latter part of the discussion um, help might go somewhere to this question. Re the discussion on Saturday Extra and CDCs, Rod wrote, a lot of talk about prevention, but no discussion at all by the experts on basic protection. There are over 800,000, it looks there, zoonotic organisms in the world that could infect humans. So the world needs to better manage global biodiversity or stop breaking it up and so lessening human-wild animals interaction. This is in the Labor Party national platform. We did touch on that uh, at the very end, uh, Rod. And also Pete in Taz says, hi, Catherine. It's very hard to have innovative ideas approach in terms of epidemics when the medical system is exhausted. We all know that after a hard day at work. Thanks so much for texting in. Stream any ABC radio station live and on the go. Discover new podcasts, music and audiobooks, all free on the ABC Listen app.